Hey, hey, this is the last in our series of creators, and it is pretty apt because we're going for Austin Cleon, who is the creator's creator. One of the most cited books by all creators is Steal Like an Artist from Austin. Uh, I think recently it hit its 10-year anniversary, and they talked a little bit about that. Uh, but this is also a creator interviewing a creator. It's Neil Parisha, who is kind of an artist in the weirdest sense of the word. Uh, his podcast only drops when there's a full moon <laughs> and he insists on recording uh, on site so what you're about to hear is them talking in a park so there's a lot of ambient noise uh, and also if you have your uh, audio set to words uh, to, to force stereo sounds you might want to uh, separate things out because you have uh, he has really nice sort of left right audio recording in the, the stereo track right now. So uh, have a listen. I think uh, this analysis of Henry David Thoreau, as well as the power of walking, uh, is really apt and I think uh, is useful for any creator. This is great. I want to know. No, I'm loving it. And then right behind you, there's a big long-tailed uh, grackle uh, uh, flying towards us with a shimmery kind of blue head. The patio, it's now 93 degrees outside. The, 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 pa <laughs> the patio is cleared. The lunchtime is over. The truck is pulled away. And we are tipping back into your third and final book, which is The Journal of Henry David Thoreau <laughs> by Henry David Thoreau. Um, abridged. Abridged. Abridged, I should say. Even though it's, let me see here. It's pretty long. 667 pages. Uh, published in, by 19, in 1984 by Peregrine Smith Books and now published in the, by the University of Princeton Press, who also publishes his full journal. The cover depicts flattened leaves and the small branches of plants and yellows and greens. And the center has a yellow box with the simple title, The Journal, 1837 to 1861 in green and Henry David Thoreau's name in red. Right below that says preface by John R. Stilgo, C-I-L-G-O-E. Henry David Thoreau was born in 1817 in Concord, Massachusetts, died sadly at age 44, I believe a tuberculosis, 1862 in Concord, Massachusetts. He's an American naturalist, essayist, poet, philosopher, and transcendent transcendentalist. Did I say that right? Best known for his book Walden and his essay Civil Disobedience. Henry David Thoreau's journal was his life's work. The daily practice of writing that accompanied his daily walks, the workshop where he developed his books and essays, and a project in its own right. One of the most intensive explorations ever made of the everyday environment, the revolving seasons, and the changing self. File this one to be decimated under 818.303 for literature slash English slash author slash middle 19th century from 1830 to 1861. Austin, tell us about your relationship with the journal of Henry David Thoreau. Well, I've actually never read Walden, which everyone thinks is hilarious because I'm a huge Thoreau fan. Um, so I avoided Thoreau for most of my adult, you know, most of my life. You know, I didn't get to Thoreau until I was like 35. So it wasn't maybe. an active avoidance. No, it was an active avoidance. I literally stayed away from Thoreau because I couldn't stand the people who I thought read Thoreau. So I, I have never been a naturalist. I've never been interested in... I think that's changing rapidly. But when I was growing up, I really considered myself an indoors person. Like, I was not interested in nature or anything crunchy. That John Krakauer... You mentioned no football, no sports, right? I mean, right, like, and... and but that that's one thing. But, like, the whole, like... Like... Grizzly Man or Into Thin Air, all that REI shopping, you know, people camping, stuff like that. I just, like, could not be more interested in that. And I, the, part of the reason I picked this book is Thoreau ended up being such a formative writer for me. Um, and it 
was really that kind of thing where I had avoided this guy my whole life because the cultural narrative about him, I had kind of absorbed that narrative instead of actually reading him. <laughs> you know? And so when I, I'm trying to think of, I think the first thing that happened, I don't think I read the journal first. I read a biography of Thoreau by this woman named uh, Laura Walls. And I started reading it. And I was like, all right, this dude like lives with his parents. He's overeducated. He's really upset about the government. He loves plants. I mean, this dude sounds like every millennial I know, basically. So I was like, <laughs> this is just not like, well, this is extremely relatable stuff. And, you know, when I started reading Thoreau, I thought, this is just a guy who trained himself to see the world in a grain of sand, like William Blake says. I mean, this guy could... What do you mean by that? Well, so what's interesting to me about Thoreau is that everything people think is some kind of gotcha about Thoreau is actually an, a crucial, essential fact makes him even more interesting. So, for example, one of the things people always bitch about is like, well, Walden's like, he was a mile away from his house. He wasn't living in the wilderness. Like so for those he, that don't know, he, he lived at, at, at Walden Pond for a couple of years on yeah, a self-made kind of his, parcel of land. His buddy Emerson owned this land. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah, and Thoreau built this little cabin on, it'd be like if your buddy was like, yeah, go build a yeah, cabin on my little on my ranch property. or whatever, you know. Um, but he was really only a mile away from his house. He wasn't that far outside of town. But it was really, it was his attempt to live deliberately is what he called it. But to me, this makes it all the more splendid that he was able to find this whole natural world and this universe right in his damn backyard. Now, the other thing that people bitch about with Thoreau is that his mom did his laundry, you know, or his mom brought him food or whatever. And the great case that, you know, Laura Wall says nowhere in American literature has a man ever been, uh, you know, crucified for not doing his own laundry or spending time with his family. You know, she's like, this is absurd. None of the men that you read from this time period ever did their own laundry or anything, you know. But part of the problem is that people don't... Now, I haven't read Walden. Walden's very preachy. Walden is very, like... It's it's a different kind of language. He's he's speaking in like a kind of elevated. I mean, I've read parts of Walden. I haven't read the entire. The journal is a guy working things out. Presumably not for publication at the time. Well, I mean, it, so you've talked to the other David who works a lot like this David. David Sedaris. David Sedaris and David Thoreau, because he switched. Henry yeah, David. his name really was David. Right. Yeah. yeah. They actually worked in a very similar way. They have this diary that they, you know, they go on little adventures. Yeah. You know, Thoreau walked for four hours a day, right. tromping around. Yeah, Sedaris is doing Sedaris nine. does the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then they come back and they write about it. So what, but what they, you know, what they both do is they work out stuff in their diary. It goes from, I know the, it goes from, uh, it goes from the walk to the diary. It goes from the walk to the diary uh -huh. or the life to the diary, whatever. And then the diary becomes a lecture or something read aloud to an audience. Yeah, exactly how David Sedaris says it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then the lectures become a book. Right. They right. basically work in the same way. So right. in some ways, 
reading Thoreau's diary and David Sedaris's diary at the same time kind of blew things open for me because it just was this like, it's like, oh, okay, I can have this. You know, I, I explicitly started keeping a diary diary in 2017. You have a yellow small, is it a moleskin? This is not my diary. Oh, it's not? No. Okay. This is my pocket notebook. Okay. My diary is looks like a Bible, basically. It's like Bible size. It's like a, uh-huh. or not that thick, maybe. It's, it's probably... So what's the difference between a notebook and a diary? Well, a notebook is... Oh, what is the difference for yeah. me? Yeah, well, you've got a this picture of This is just random stuff. Stick. This okay. is like, uh, this is just, I have this on me to take notes okay, and so that's, whatever. Okay, that's to take notes. The diary is to... Uh, the diary is to literally sit down and I do, like Linda, I have a paint br- I have a little brush pen and I write the date and I look through my notebook and I have another thing called a log book, which is like an appointment book in reverse where I just write down what happens to me every day because I don't remember what happens to me. And then... I look through my logbook. I look through my diary. Sometimes I look at, or, or my pocket notebook. Sometimes I look at Twitter or like my blog or something. And then I write down what I want to, I figure out what I want to write about in the diary. I probably only fill two or three, four pages each morning. But those pages accumulate. And then usually what I come up with in the diary often becomes a blog post or a newsletter. And then when it's time to do a book, a lot of those blog posts and newsletters, they become a book chapter. Right, so it's just like what it's happens the same. after book? Is book the end state? Well, it's weird because the book then becomes usually like a you know a series of talks or something or but then the book like kind of that's a good question. I mean, the book is what it is, but then usually what happens is after the book comes out, there's all this new writing from stuff I figured out after the book. So there's something else cyclical in there, probably for other people that read your books. Maybe they yeah. get their own thoughts in their own diaries and their own notebooks. Yeah, I mean, a book, I believe, is a crystallization of thought in a particular moment in time. Wow, like, a book is a crystallization of thought in a particular moment of time. In time. Yeah, like you, a book has, because it has a publication date, um, like I really hate Leaves of Grass by Whitman because I love it. I hate the fact that he just kept redoing the book. Like, I, th- it drives me nuts as a reader because, and this is just my, my own self, I, I, I appreciate his, I appreciate the project and I appreciate what it says about books and literature, the fact that he's just, like, remaking this thing over and over and it's getting whatever. I hate that it, there isn't one artifact I can go to because I like the artifactiness of a book mm. I like the fact that it's a moment in time mm. I don't actually like updated books that much like like when Steal Like an Artist came out I really didn't want to change much in the book because I was just like why would I change what this book essentially is and what it does for people like it's I you know so that's why I decided to do an afterword instead of like an introduction or anything because I felt like right. an, 10 year anniversary yeah. of like an artist just came out wonderful book everybody right. should get it everybody should read it I got a copy right here right beside me and you're saying when it came out in 10 years you didn't want to mess with it because it was a moment in time yeah like an uh, the mm-hmm. afterword felt very much like the the, the way I could you know that that's the way I could leave it the easiest because even an introduction you're disrupting the flow of the book. Like the book, yeah. you open the book and it goes. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, bam. I, I feel the same way about you know? dedications. It's a yeah. weird thought, but I don't have I probably, dedications in any of my books for that yeah. same reason. 
Uh, but wait, so you you you, you kind of mentally had dismissed uh, Thoreau growing up. You caught, thought yourself as an indoorsman. Right. He was more of an outdoorsman. Right. You bump into this Laura Wells biography of Thoreau somehow, because that, that, by the way, I bought it on your recommendation. It's a thick, meaty book. Like, yeah. Not many people just stumble into an 800-page biography. Well, that was my friend Levi Stahl, who runs marketing for University of Chicago Press. It was his book. Like, that came out from them, and he was pimping it on Twitter, and he was like, you got to read this, and sent me a copy. So you read that book. It tipped you off to Thoreau, and then you... T- chose to start not with his most popular work, which would be Walden, but you rather traced it back and bought the journal. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of how I got to the journal. Well, one of the reasons, uh, John Stilgo, who did the preface for this, he wrote a beautiful book called Outside Lies Magic, which um, he's the perfect book to, he's the perfect person to write the intro to that, because Outside Lies Magic is John Stilgo's book about getting outside and exploring your your urban environment and the weird spaces. He's a real proponent of like following power lines and seeing where they go wow. and like going to easements and finding like weird retention ponds and like stuff all over the built environment. Um, so he's the perfect person to write this. But um, yeah, so then I just start. So the way I read this is the other reason it means so much to me. I read this. I've never read it straight through. What I do is when I'm in the process of reading it, which I'm not right now, I've lapped it twice. I've read that book twice. It's a 24-year book. He wrote it from yeah. age 20 so, to age 44. As so what I did is I put sticky notes, little post-it flags on each year, the date that approximated today, and I read it throughout a year as like a daily read. Now, there are books where you can do that. There are books that people have put out. Yeah. But I did it myself, and what I did was I read, it's, uh, it's May 17th, so I read every, every entry in that book that was on May 17th, I read on May 17th. Now, what's incredible about that is he repeats himself over and over. He's like, you know, like, oh, the birds, you know, the robins came out today. And it's like, yeah, four years later, he's like, the Robins came out today. You know, whatever it is. He repeats himself over and over, and you realize he really is the great American chronicler of the seasons because he, that is how he, he's just deeply attuned to his environment, and he's like the micro seasons and the kind of micro, the things that happen, he's just over and over and over. Now, the other fun thing about the journal that not a lot of people know is they, there are all these doodles and sketches in the journal that, that the New York Review of Books who put this out have been really good at reproducing. But he's, you know, I mean, like, Thoreau is sort of like... So well, how did this change you? What, what changed about you? You read this in 2017, uh, so f- five years ago-ish. Well, you know, Thoreau is sort of, he's privileged in a sense that he's, uh, you know, he's a white guy and 18... Went to Harvard. Whatever. He went to Harvard, but Harvard didn't have the reputation it had uh-huh. now, you know, back then. Um, Harvard was kind of more of a crazy, it was a little bit wilder than, than now. Um, but, you know, he's he's pretty well cared for. Uh, but he's sort of a... He just, he, he's very, he writes a lot about attention. And that's one reason he's really interesting to read now. Because Thoreau's kind of feeling is that the, the world is trying to distract him from what he's truly interested in, which is, is his immediate environment. Like, what he's really interested in is, like, 
trying to get a groundhog to let him pet him or so, you know like 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 yeah. like your squirrels or like Why flowers the or whatever are so pink exactly uh, or the, he's the color of you know, the sunset what's the temperature of walden pond at this you know he's he's very deeply interested in his extremely local environment and he feels very much that his the news and the media of the time is taking him away from this life and he feels uh-huh. that a good life is one in which he's paying attention to his local universe uh-huh. rather than whatever's going on. Right. So you can see how in 2017, this is a book for me where I'm like, this dude has it figured out. Mm. Like he has figured out mm. how to pay hyper local attention to his world and stay focused and not let himself be kind of caught up in what what's going on in the wider world. You know, he talks about, there's a certain point in the diary where he says, you know, this weekly paper I get, I don't have time to read this weekly paper. Yeah. <laughs> he says, read not the times, read the eternities. Yeah, and, and he's very much like, but, but he literally, right now, reading the weekly paper seems to me like a very, that would be a really good media diet, actually. That would be a really good news diet. Like, if you just read, like, a weekly paper. It's a lot slower than the 15 that, time a day. That'd probably of, be enough, yeah, actually, yeah. for you. Um, for Thoreau, it was too much. So right. it's like, yeah, it's very interesting. But you're biking yeah. a lot more now. You're taking a lot long walks. Oh, yeah. You're talking, you, yeah. You, he's kind of, I'm assuming he's kind of inched you closer to being an outdoors person. Well, both Thoreau and Sedaris taught me that what I realized is <laughs> it's not like these jokers went out and had all these great epiphanies and then came back and like, oh, you know, I can. I have this great memory I'll write about. They're all scribbling in a notebook all day. Thoreau's got a notebook with him. David Starris has a little piece of paper in his pocket. He's scribbling things down. Yeah. It's not like these dudes have, you, you know, like whatever. So, like, for me, it just made what it did, what reading Thoreau and getting to know Sedaris's method, um... What they did for me is show me a repeatable way of working indefinitely. Ooh, interesting. You set up systems in which you're never devoid of material because you're constantly, constantly writing. You're just you're doing stuff all the time. And the real trick becomes how you go back through this stuff mm. and, and present it in a way that you could do something with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, the, like, the, it was really... Neither, think, neither of them actually ended up figuring out how to turn it off. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some artists eventually get to a place yeah. like, uh, you know, Alice Monroe is still alive and she's been very publicly and said, I'm, I'm done writing now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think I've had enough her. of that. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's interesting, though, because no, nothing anyone says about Thoreau is wrong. You know, it's not it's not that they're wrong. They just miss the point. I mean, like, what is also really interesting to me is. You know, I consider myself, I, I, I consider myself a feminist and I consider myself a very passionate, <laughs> I read, I read a lot of women. I make a point to read a lot of women. What is really interesting to me is when feminists come at Thoreau or people who think they're being feminists come at Thoreau, oh, these are this whatever, because actually some of the great champions of Thoreau have been these feminist superheroes like Virginia Woolf or Rebecca Solnit. You know, these people that, like, got, you know, or Gandhi, you know, but, you know, like these, or Martin Luther King or whatever. These people these who read people Thoreau. Who have been yeah, these are all people Thoreau. that have read Thoreau. Mm-hmm. And so when people try to comment Thoreau from this, like, 
modern contemporary perspective where they're like, well, his mom did his laundry and he never really left home. He's just some privileged white guy and whatever. It's like, it's really hilarious to me because when you think about what he was doing at the time, the stones it took to kind of like, you know, to, to, to make that kind I just find him deeply relatable. And maybe that's cause I'm like a, I'm, I am who I am. But for me, it's like, I just, I just love him. And I also love that he's kind of a prick. You know, people are always like, oh, he's so... And it's interesting because if you read the diary, he's like, when he's young, it's kind of unbecoming. Like, when you meet people, when you meet young people who are kind of cranky, it's like, what are you cranky about? You've got the body of a 17-year-old and you're free and you can do whatever you want. What are you cranky about? Thoreau grows into his crankiness. as And as he ages, his crankiness gets more like earned and and deeper and i love that about him but he's like this guy that really taught me i'd say the primary thing you know there's a couple of things i learned from throw like the one is you go out and walk and then you come back and write about it that's basic that's just a great for a writer you go out in the world you have a little adventure and you come back and write about it whatever you thought about you take notes come back and write about it the other thing I learned is try, f- I don't want to curse, so try, try fucking reading someone before you have an opinion about yeah. them. Like this, this is bad. This is, we're at a moment now in the culture where it's just like people have opinions about people that they don't even know anything about. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not, I'm not like, it's just that point is which, why don't you try reading someone before you make these generalizations, you know, before you get into this. So if you want to drive me crazy, and everyone knows this now, like mention Thoreau's Laundry. Like I just, it just drives me <laughs> up. It drives me insane because it's just, it's just really missing the point. And I mean, there's a lot of other things. I think it is an American. It's really, you know, there's a Thoreauvian economics too that's really interesting. I mean, he, I mean, one of his great lines is, beware of endeavors that require new clothing. Mm. You know, he, he, what Thoreau writes about is that all labor has a cost. There's a cost to work. It costs you something to work. Like you get money from working, but it costs you to work. And that's like another one of his points. He just like has a, he's a great, you know, he's, so one of the great American philosophers. The, the walking thing is so interesting. I think you and I are both big fans of these long walks. I have a, I did a YouTube video once called The Life-Changing Magic of the Five-Hour Walk. And, and um, you know, he would go out for a long walk every afternoon equipped with an array of instruments, his hat for specimen collecting, a heavy book to press plants, a spyglass to watch birds, his walking stick to take measurements, and small scraps of paper for giant dough notes. What are your ingredients for a good walk? Oh, I'm much simpler. I mean, I I actually don't walk with anything other than my iPhone. Well, and that's, people that's are an of, interesting thing right there on the people, phone. People are sort of like, okay, that's it. Um, like, there's no, a lot more in there. You know, I think uh, one wall, of the concepts like, of this podcast, Neil's podcast, is, is that there are three books pictures. that the author chooses, and then the guy does a lot of research. It's just a really unique, interesting podcast that is special. I think that's the kind of vibe that Neil Parisha kind of goes for. Don't really know what he does for a living, but uh, I'm really glad that he produces this work of passion. It's really a work of passion. Um, and so I'm also going to link his uh, Neil's talk on YouTube 
on the magic of five hour walks. Five hours is a very long time to walk. I'm not sure, actually sure he does this. Um, and the video hasn't had a bunch of traction. So I considered including it in here, but I'm just not going to. Just check it out if you're interested in the show notes.